You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome back to the Statman Dave Football Podcast. This is episode 75. Today, we're going to be joined by Nico Morales to review the Champions League final, the whole Champions League, team of the season, game of the season, absolutely everything, of course, incorporating the news. But first up, Nico, is it a sunny day over with you in the US of A? It's not. It's uh, been raining almost every day here, kind of like London, I guess. Um, So yeah, it's kind of been poor weather for us, unfortunately, but hopefully the sun will return soon because I love it. Mm, yeah, it's been it's been hot and cold. It's been a hit and miss, really. Yesterday was chucking it down. Today is a little bit more brighter. Um, and just a little bit of news as well on the podcast. We're going to take a little bit of a break um, for about a week and a half, maybe two weeks, while I take a, I need a break. I'm starting to lose my mind. Before, if you'd heard of any of the recordings or any of the conversation before we started recording, you would have thought I was absolutely mental. I've just come to the end. I'm a little bit tired, so we're going to take about a two-week break and then come back with maybe uh, weekly shows over uh, the transfer window until, uh, obviously, the action gets started again and then potentially we'll be going back to the daily which is exciting but anyway let's uh let's dive into the news today first up harry kane on his move to Werder bremen if you didn't see the tweet yesterday it was unbelievable Werder bremen tweeting harry kane to hashtag Werder confirmed with a winky smiley face they attached that to a video of a hurricane or a uh, little whirlwind going round the Werder Bremen Stadium. I thought that was the best tweet I've ever seen. I quickly smashed on a retweet. Hurricane, Harry Kane, I finally got that into people's vocabulary. Nico, did you think the tweet was as funny as I did? No. Um, my what? maturity level is uh, is quite past yours, even though you're, you're quite a bit older than I am. So, you know, we're entertained by all sorts of different things. Nico. You just need to have a, you know, you just need to be young, be free. As you get older, as the years pass, you get grumpier, you get more tired. It's one of these things, Nico, where you've just got to enjoy little things in life, like Verda Bremen's Twitter account, which you go and follow Verda Bremen's Twitter account. I'm going to give them a shout out. I think it's Verda Bremen underscore E-N. That's the English version. Uh, of course, if you speak German, go and check out their German Twitter account. But anyway, there's some news going around the media at the moment that Claude Poyel is about to be sacked as Southampton manager. That Nico, you were pretty upset about this on Twitter, saying that United had paid a referee in the EFL Cup final, which is completely incorrect. But what's your stance on Puel? you think he's done a good job this season? Yeah, I think he's a really talented manager. I think 
it, it, Southampton has been on an upward trajectory for the past few seasons now because of some excellent um, behind-the-scenes management. The, the club has done exceptionally well, even when they've lost uh, their managers and, and their players and, and stuff like that. Um, so they, they've done exceptionally well to, to replace those guys, and I think they've continued that with Puel. The only reason I think he really gets a bad rap is because... So they finished eighth in the Premier League, which although maybe people feel like with a few... Uh, better performances with a bit more attacking flair to their to their I guess style under Puel they could have garnered more results I really don't think that's the case their underlying statistics um, reveal that they were about seventh or eighth um, in the Premier League with a lot of their shot conversion numbers and, and their shot numbers so I think where they ended up is pretty deserved and I think our perception of him would have been completely different if the United game would have gone differently and however you view that final I think Southampton did exceptionally well and uh, bar you know an offside goal maybe our perception would have been like I said would have been completely different so I think he's a really good manager I think he gets bad rap because sort of towards the end of the season um, Southampton I think failed to score at home for like a couple of games and, and fans are you know deservedly upset about that but watching them their last few games I think it's something that sometimes the the mid table clubs like a Stoke or a Southampton or or clubs like that it's sometimes difficult to motivate those players when there isn't an, uh, a big international tournament coming up because they don't really have a lot to play for and they don't want to injure themselves so it, it can be difficult to motivate them to play uh, the I guess the the same intensity as they did in, in different parts of the season so I think he's a really good manager and I, I hope that Southampton don't sack him because I, I I want to continue to see him in the Premier League. Number one, um, whether or not that goal was onside or offside, Zlatan Ibrahimovic would have won that AFL Cup final on his own anyway. And number two, it is quite an interesting one, though, losing Sado Mane to Liverpool, who was, I think, there was the top scorer that season before, that won games on his own with his goals. I remember scoring a hat-trick against Liverpool that was fantastic. So it was an interesting one. They did lose him, and they, they tried to replace him with Gabbiadini, that had a really good spell. Um, but there were goals dried up for, you know, Jay Rodriguez, Charlie Austin got injured. It was a weird one for their forward line. Nathan Redmond not really stepping up into Sado Mane. Mane's shoes, a very, very good season for him, but not at the same level as Mane had before he moved to Liverpool. So it's an interesting one. I thought Romeo has been fantastic in central midfield. He won their, um, their player of the year. It was brilliant every time I saw I watched um, Southampton. He was the standout player in defensive midfield and has really progressed since um, you know leaving Chelsea um, on a permanent deal. So yeah, Southampton, it's an interesting one. Uh, what they do next, um, it will be very interesting. Of course, they had Pochettino, um, who is a very exciting manager, moving to um, you know the Puel style is going to be quite interesting. So it's a different one it's a different kettle of fish but anyway let's move on to where some Mbappe and Monaco news apparently Le Parisien is reporting that um, Monaco and uh, Mbappe are going to ignore all offers this summer that's after Arsenal reportedly offered and Real Madrid 130 million euros for the young Frenchman Moving to Germany, Borussia Dortmund have signed Maximilian Philipp from Freiburg. Philipp is a, a good player, um, you know, a, a target man type striker, could complement Aubameyang very well. Uh, under Peter Bosch, who's taken over there. Nico, Peter Bosch to Dortmund. Exciting, right? Yeah, probably would have liked to see Lucien Favre, but he's only been at Nice for for a summer, so maybe maybe we'll hold off on that. But yeah, Bosch is going to be a good, exciting manager over there. I think he's got an interesting football style, and you know, I think if you looked at the the philosophy that he wanted to enact with with uh, Ajax, he did that successfully in in the domestic league, but unfortunately, it didn't necessarily translate to the highest level against Manchester United, but uh, against you know, or with some better players that that Dortmund definitely have, um, that that style of football under him will only increase, you would think. So really excited to see what he does at Dortmund. 
Mm, exactly. You know, you've got so many young players in there. Dahoud joins from Gladbach as well. You potentially expect Eunice as well. The probably the second best player in the Europa League behind Paul Pogba this season. Fantastic for Ajax. Lovely short frame. Loves coming in onto that right foot. Very tricky. Completed more dribbles than any other player in the Europa League. Um, could be quite an interesting signing, but it is going back to the Thomas Tufel problem at the club um, as well. With Bosch leaving Ajax, apparently he was forced out or he massively fell out with the um, board. In a way, what Ajax have is they have a board of directors that we. Know in England and, and you know we all know and then they've got this board underneath there's basically a board of advisors with the likes of Bergkamp Edwin van der Sar apparently those guys forced out Jonk um, who did some great work uh, in the academy for Ajax you know a Cruyff um, uh, you know sort of disciple they forced him out over uh, I think over the last summer and then apparently Peter Bosch was nearly forced out in January and then again has been forced out at the end of the season which is a real weird one um, these guys uh, who are ex-Ajax players and, and you know it's kind of this Bayern Munich model that Ajax are trying to build but they've lost a great manager a real good manager and a manager that loved Ajax which is such a weird one you know Peter Bosch was a fine old player but he used to drive to Ajax to Amsterdam sorry to watch Ajax um, when he, had he, was, a, he had an Ajax like, season ticket exactly and it just seems like a weird one Nico you think it's, it's Definitely the wrong way, right, for their club. Some, you know, one of the best managers we've seen. Frank de Boer was an interesting manager. The style of football wasn't too great. I really like how Peter Bosch had Ajax playing. Yeah, he was an excellent manager, and I think he he brought a style of football that was really really went along with the club. Like you said, he had a passion for Ajax. He had he had you know a, a connect an emotional connection. Although he did play for their rivals earlier in his career, um, so I think the the decision to let him go is an interesting one. But unfortunately, it's one that I think that those clubs in those sort of leagues are put in quite often. You know, they have to let go of their best players and their best managers, similar to some of the lower clubs in the Premier League, um, to better teams and, and bigger teams, because that was probably on Peter Bosch's, uh, I guess, managerial evolution or, or checklist that he needed to move up at some point, and he took the first opportunity to do so. So they probably didn't want to deal with a manager that ultimately had his had his foot halfway out the door, but hopefully they can bring in a, a good manager to replace it, considering how many good players they have. A whole host of top players that Ajax have sort of brought through in the last season or so. Sorry, that is the police. They are coming to get me. So in the last, um, what, last year, uh, Boss has man- managed Vitesse, uh, Maccabi Tel Aviv, and of course Ajax and now Borussia Dortmund. But he will do a great job there. Maybe Ziyech will head to Dortmund. That'd be exciting. Very, very exciting. Um, you know, player that's coming to the sort of peak of his career, 24 years old. So it could be quite interesting. In terms of uh, other news, Manchester United must pay apparently 100 million euros to sign uh, Andrea Bellotti from Torino. There's a video that's gone out on my YouTube channel today. So make sure you go and check it out in terms of Bellotti's playing style if you know nothing about the forward um, I spent a bit of time watching um, Torino this season um, and Bellotti I'm a big big fan of moving to some other news um, Liverpool face a fight to sign Virgil van Dijk as Southampton want up to £75 million for Virgil van Dijk Nico you uh, don't think he's going to solve all the problems though right? No, as I said pre-record, you know, I think I said this on the on the front three a few days ago, and and not an argument, Lawrence. You know, I love Lawrence, um, but I think the 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 conception with a lot of defensive signings is that they're going to come in and make things better. And from what I'm hearing from a lot of people is that he's a big upgrade on their system. And I just think, though, I think he's a good player, and a lot of people are interpreting it as I'm angry as a Manchester City fan that I, that my club wasn't able to sign him. That I, I'm trying to be as objective as I can in my analysis, and I think as good as a player as he is, 
in the system that Jurgen Klopp currently plays, the center backs are exposed because of the way that they press the ball. And once that press is beaten, those center backs are pulled out of position and they're exposed. So it doesn't really matter who you play in those center back positions to a relative extent. They're still going to be exposed. They're still going to be made to be look stupid to some extent unless the systematic issues in that in their system get fixed. And so uh, as much as you want to claim that Virgil van Dijk is a huge upgrade, you're buying someone that is slightly better or p- perhaps slightly worse considering his positional issues at Southampton um, than Dejan Lovren or Matip or uh, Klavan in those positions. And, and yet you're claiming that that's worth 60 million. I just, I really don't understand the logic behind that because you're paying 60 million, like I said, for someone that's going to execute the same style of football with a system that has obvious systematic issues because Jurgen Klopp has failed to move on from his issues at, at Dortmund. You know, that was one of the big things in his final year at Dortmund was that Mats Hummels, as you've, as you've touched on, was pulled out of position when center backs that are bigger and not as quick are pulled out against quick and agile wingers it's it's a recipe for disaster so as much as Virgil van Dijk is a good player I'm not disputing that it's 60 million that could probably be spent better elsewhere considering Emery Chan Jordan Henderson and and other players in that midfield aren't as good as enacting that press so in my opinion it's not the best bit of bit of business but uh, you know I'm just a bitter Manchester City fan apparently mm, very bitter very very bitter and all that stuff you were tweeting about Southampton winning the EFL Cup has just confirmed those rumours Nico but I would agree with you I think in defensive midfield Liverpool need to get a guy in there Emery Chan is, is far too inconsistent to play that role Jordan Henderson with his gait issues uh, in, is going to have injuries through his career so they need a defensive midfielder you know a, a Casemiro type defensive midfielder that can and defend those wide areas almost someone like Fabinho would be perfect um, and at centre-half as well they need to be agile they need to be quick they need to be like Sergio Ramos and Rafael Varane obviously they're the two best in the world but they need to get guys of the same mould there maybe centre-backs that have you, you know that have played full-back in their career and so forth again great tactical points there Nico in other news as well Nolito apparently is going to be leaving Manchester City because of the weather and lack of games Nolito on life in Manchester it was like living in a cave Nolito you are a muppet have you never been to the Northern Quarter have you never been out your house Stop disrespecting my hometown, Nico, as well. You're a fan of Manchester. You think that Nolito should back off too, right? No, I completely agree with Excuse him. Have you, have, you, have you heard of what, uh, what Pep Guardiola said about the food in Manchester as well? Go on, amuse me. <laughs> he said, because uh, somebody, I think he was an- answering Manchester City fans' questions for uh, a fan video that the club did, and he said, you know, what, what's, uh, somebody asked him what food he liked better in Manchester or, or what if the food was better here or or in Germany and he said you know I, I prefer neither I, I prefer um, the Mediterranean food in Spain and if you disagree with me you know try the food here and then go to Italy or go to Spain and tell me that the food is not better there um, so I think some some Spaniards at times um, can have difficulty adjusting to the gloom and doom life in England to some extent considering the sunny warm days of uh, of Spain. He's obviously never had chips and gravy or he's never had chip, a chip farm. What a muppet. So simple to get, so easy, available pretty much everywhere. Seriously, Guardiola, go and sort yourself out. So we're going to wrap up some transfer news now. First up, Liverpool are in talks with Sport in Lisbon over the transfer of Gelson Martinez, according to Sky Sources, the player that registered the most assists in the Portuguese league this season, a very tricky winger, starred against Real Madrid um, for Sporting Lisbon in the Champions League this season. Morata, apparently United have bid €60 million, Euros. Real Madrid want €90 million, Euros, which is absolutely insane for a big team player. Balotelli is going to join Borussia Dortmund according to Mina Raiola, his agent, and AC Milan have snapped up Ricardo Rodriguez. 
And to finish things off, um, to move on into our next topic of discussion, some Juventus news. Allegri has signed a new year, new deal until 2020, which moves us on to the Champions League final that happened on Saturday. But Nico was being lazy as hell and wouldn't jump on the podcast, so we're going to talk about it now. First up, of course, we've got to talk about Cristiano Ronaldo's performance. Again, dominating the Champions League. Five goals against Bayern in the quarters, a hat-trick against Atletico in the semis, and of course, a brace versus Juventus. He is the big-time player. Player, right, Nico, the best finisher in world football. Where can he yeah, go he, next? Where can he go next in, in terms of his position? I don't know. I think I think one of the things that Ronaldo does best is that people talk about, and and this is consistent in the analysis. Um, when we see Ronaldo, is, is is sort of a criticism of the defenders around him or the the people that are defending him in a certain game, and and, and you know mainstream and out, uh, commentators and and analysts often say, you know, what is that defender doing there? You know, what were they thinking? You have to track him, and I think that's a mis mis analysis and a miscredit to um, some of the things that Ronaldo does extremely well. The reason he's finding that space is because you know that's by design. That's something that he's learned to do. You know, he's learned how to not get marked um, in certain situations, and it, it, I think if you look at the second goal uh for Ronaldo in this game um in against Juventus you know he he comes from a very deep position that's what he's so good at doing is that he can get from point A to point B point A in this case being sort of the top of the box to point B uh the end of that cross and into the goal very quickly and it's just so difficult unless you're like unless you've literally stuck a man on him for the entire game and wasted not necessarily wasted but taken one player out of your formation just to mark him for the entire game then it's very difficult uh, for for anyone to really um, stop Ronaldo from at least getting shots on target, if not some some pretty good goals. So he, he's an excellent player. He's got excellent movement, and that's that's the best thing that he's done so far. I think Lawrence said that you know as players go on in their career, some of them move backwards um, to to stay competitive within the game. But Ronaldo has moved forwards, and he's evolved his his off ball movement, and that's the thing that stands out to me the most, and is the most dangerous about him. I don't think you could uh, criticise uh, you know, Juventus for that second goal. It was a transition high up the pitch. Modric was brilliant, as he was for the whole game. Nick the ball, quick one-two of Carvajal, and he's through. I think that run for Ronaldo, like you're saying, is trademark Ronaldo. That's what he's so good at, like you're saying. It's that movement from deep to get to an area where you score a goal. It's, it, he's a simple player in a way. You know, He has the power, he has the speed, but it is that, that movement. There was a bit where Marcelo whipped a ball into the back post. Marcelo drifted inside a little bit, a little bit of skill, and he whipped a ball to the back post. And Ronaldo's movement to nearly get on the chance was fantastic I think he moved to the left then moved to the right and then went back again um, went round the player and just missed the shot but it was fantastic to see how alive he becomes and I think that's the beauty of Cristiano Ronaldo that he's so sharp in that penalty area and just you know the records in the Champions League in the last uh, five seasons are a joke he's um, sort of been directly involved in 84 goals in the last five years that's 31 more than Lionel Messi Lionel Messi is the best player in the world I don't deny that I think Messi has things that Ronaldo doesn't. Messi is a complete player. He can do everything. Very, very good at passing, very, very good at dribbling. Um, and Ronaldo is more of this clinical striker, should we say. And playing in Real's 4-4-2 diamond against Juve like he did against Atletico in the semi, it's just showing that potentially he may be moving to be a, a forward in the end, you know, the goals that he scored. I really like the the, the first goal as well, the, the the move from Real, really quick through, like a quick counter-attack, cruise to Benzema, Benzema moving it on, Ronaldo standing his full, full back up, sliding Carvalho, and then getting back into that penalty area. Obviously, deflection but still a fantastic move with the speed apparently though we've got some breaking news Liverpool have bid for Virgil van Dijk and it has been rejected Nico how much is that for now you've uh, you've misread the the note that I put in there, but I'll correct you. They bid for Stefan de Frey, uh, who is Lazio's center half for oops 
20 million euros and that has been rejected apparently that's coming from sky um so i haven't seen much of defry this season i've seen him in the past obviously for the uh for the dutch national team um but it's obvious you know liverpool looking for a center back there so interesting stuff coming out from sky what do you think dave yeah i quite liked it i quite liked him at the world cup under louis van gaal i really thought that he would would be brought to united um under louis van gaal it was one of the players i thought you know he looks quite good same with bruno martins indio i thought was excellent for the netherlands Again, a player that Louis van Gaal could have brought to Manchester United, but he didn't fancy it, which was a bit weird. Obviously, they work together every day in training and so forth, but I just don't understand Louis van Gaal's thoughts there. And, I, you know, he's a good player. Whenever I see him for, for Lazio, he's good. But anyway, let's move on to Real Madrid's fullbacks being so crucial in an attacking sense. In terms of Carvajal creating the first goal, he's got the most assists for any defender in the Champions League knockout stages this season. Absolutely brilliant. Um, the goal that he set up for Ronaldo, but also Marcelo on the other side, who we've been absolutely you know raving about this season. For me, the second best player in the world. How impressed again, Nico, were you by Real Madrid's fullbacks in this system that is very narrow through the middle? This diamond in midfield has to be supported by the fullbacks, but they did such a good job going forward. Yeah, I think it's one of the things that maybe uh, someone like Zidane or, or the people in his technical staff, not to take away credit from Zidane, but I think it's a it's a holistic um, effort here that, you know, they, they a weakness that they targeted in, in the final, which is there are weaknesses to the current trend in world football, like we've spoken about, which is that three back system, which if you try to attack it centrally and, and, and with a 4-4-2 diamond as they did, um, then you can really get at the heart of that defense. Um, but also, you know, you, you need that width uh, from, from your fullbacks. And that's one of the things that Real Madrid have done so well for the past couple of years now, not just now, is their ability to get forward and their attacking ability from from whichever fullbacks that they've had. And, and fortunately, they've had some of the best fullbacks in the world um, in recent seasons with with Marcelo and then really the addition of Danny Carhaval, someone that came, I think, from their youth academy and then went to um, Bayer Leverkusen for a year and then was bought back immediately because they realized what a mistake that was. And I think he's sort of the perfect partner to Marcelo. They're very similar. Um, Carhaval, obviously not as good, but the, the, attacking, the attacking ability that Marcelo and Carhaval bring along with some of the defensive solidity that they can both bring and have improved upon it at their time at Real um, is immense. So that, you know, their ability to link up with Gareth Bale and Cristiano Ronaldo, you know, that's one of the biggest partnerships. And I think something that Ruud Hullet um, talks about in his book is, is sort of the, the relationship that fullbacks and traditional wingers or more traditional wingers uh, build with, with the players in front of them. And, and that, that crossing relationship, that link up relationship. And that, and that's something that Real Madrid have done incredibly well between their fullbacks and their attacking players. Yeah, it's it's just so interesting how this system has evolved, and those two guys are absolutely crucial. Again, Tony Cruz taking that lovely position behind Marcelo, which is it's sort of becoming a bit of a trend now um, in terms of his ball play. And again, Cruz ran the show, completed more passes than any other player, and just kept him kept Real ticking along. And again, like I mentioned in that counter attack, he sort of it was his burst through midfield that um, got Real going forward for that for the you know for the opening goal. But he, he's just a fantastic player. He, he can pretty much do everything in terms of the top three players in the world. Something that me and Nico have chatted about a lot. I think it would be Cruz. Marcelo, Ronaldo, Ronaldo, Marcelo, Cruz for me, and Nico, you've said uh, the other way around, Cruz at, at top, um, Ronaldo second and Marcelo third, but those those guys, absolutely phenomenal of going forward, and I just love um, how they attack and how they go, but I think we're going to go to a little shout out to Luka Modric again, when the pressure was on for um, Real Madrid, when Juventus were in the ascendance, Modric was that guy again, breaking tackles, dribbling through midfield, winning tackles, making interceptions, I just love Luka Modric as well, I just, I, I'm a massive fan of this Real Madrid team, really am, I just think it's got such depth and diversity to their tactics their players and whatever and it's obviously summed up by Casemiro who again was brilliant 
Casemiro is the reason why Real Madrid can attack with their fullbacks so good as well. With it's that. interesting though, uh, if I can just interject. Yeah, you, you it's, it's interesting. <laughs> it's interesting how many things this Real Madrid have this Real Madrid side have uh, taken benefit from that were originally. And I'm not taking like like I said once again, I'm not taking away credit from Zidane because he has done some brilliant things and things that we'll get onto later in the podcast with some specific statistics um, that they've done, but. It's interesting how many things Real have benefited from that were originally Rafa Benitez's ideas because he's the one that tried to bring in a traditional defensive midfielder to that side because he realized with the absence of Di Maria that they were going to need at least someone doing a little bit more defensive work in that central midfield role. Um, and he brought in Casimiro uh, or back from his loan at Porto. Then he tried to convince Ronaldo to be more of a, a number nine and less of a left winger, um, a move that w- which he refused. And then he, he did a few other things that... Real Madrid really needed and when I say Rafa Benitez didn't necessarily have the pedigree to pull those things off I mean the way that the Spanish press treated him the way that people viewed him in the hierarchy at Real Madrid um, Zidane has because of, he was such a great player and holds such great respect amongst the people at the board and also the players I think he has the ability to tell Ronaldo hey take a break from these few games, play as a number nine, do these things. And he's willing to listen to Zidane over uh, Rafa Benitez to some extent because he, he's willing to trust that. And and I just think it's it's interesting how much they've benefited from from Rafa. But but Zidane has done some brilliant things as well, you know, the, the possession system and and their ability to, to be so flexible, you know. Yes, I'm getting a call. Um, breaking news in the podcast, I'm getting a call from a number from Worthing, Worthing, England. Never heard of Worthing, England. I'm, I don't know if I'm going to answer it. Actually, should we do it live on the podcast? Let's do it. Hello? Oh, they hung up on me. <laughs> we've, we've also got uh, Lawrence McKenna on the on the document, just looking at the document, which is interesting. So, hey, Lawrence, how you doing? Yeah, yeah, you know, diving in there. Apparently, we've got a video, actually, going out on the front three, which is a review of the Champions League. So, it'll be pretty. We'll have loads of things. A little vlog that me and Lawrence filmed on Monday. So, when it's out, go and check that out 100%. But anyway, back to Casemiro, who I was raving about, because I think he's probably my favourite player in European football right now. Just unbelievable at defensive midfield. Again, won seven out of his eight tackles in a Champions League final. That takes him to 13 tackles out of 18 tackles he's won in Champions Champions League final. Unbelievable. Smashed up Atletico last season and then smashed up Real this season. What I love about him is how he just breaks and, and controls the game, but also, you know, scored a goal. Again, scored a goal from from a strike that was fortuitous. You know, it did deflect off, um, I can't remember whose heel it was, one of the defenders that came to close it down or a central midfielder. But you've got to have that shot to score that goal. But what I loved about that goal was that he broke up the play. Juve were attacking down their right-hand side. Dani Alves was on the ball. Casemiro comes over, gives him a bit of a smash. No foul given by the referee. Dani Alves in a heap on the floor. Real go down, attack on that left-hand side. 2v1 on the left wing. And it drops to Casemiro and he bangs it home. I just love that Casemiro broke up that play, then scored that goal. Nico, are you a fan of Casemiro now? Have you have you started to believe that he is the best destroyer in world football? Dave, I, I was a fan of Casemiro about two years ago um, when I believed Real Madrid should really bring in a, a solid defensive midfielder to their lineup. But um, yeah, he's he's excellent. He's, he's improved upon his game massively. I mean, you, you've touched on it the most, I think, out of anyone. Um, is he's not just a, a destroyer. He he. I think he was involved in as many goals, or, or the only people that were above him in in terms of goal involvement. Um, in this competition were Ronaldo and Mbappe uh, to, to some extent. So 
you know, he, he's been incredible. He's improved his game. He, he's been put in offensive positions and also thrived in those positions as well as the, the defensive destroyer role that he's he's been asked to take up at Real Madrid. So he, he's an excellent player. Sorry for the, the extra breathing here. My dog is freaking out because there's a thunderstorm. So if you do hear that do, in the background, do, 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 folks, you wanna, uh, do you want to calm him down? Give him a little bit of a stroke, Nico. You know, make, I'm doing it. Make it okay, make it okay for him. freaking out. Does but, he want to hear my some, voice, my tone, my, my dulcet? I think that would, that would unsettle him. But I think what, what does settle people down <laughs> is is Casimiro's uh, ability to, to settle that midfield if you like that transition so yeah he's excellent you know um, and, and Real Madrid you know it's one of those things it's a great bit of business from Real considering that they didn't have to pay a load of money for him I think this is a player that either they bought at a very young age for a very small amount of money um, and developed themselves or either developed all the way through from Castilla so it's it's interesting that for everything that we say about Real Madrid you know their transfers and all the money that they spend on these certain players their key player in Casimiro Miedo and other guys like that, like maybe in the future Kovacic and, and Asensio, you know, they've played, they paid so few for. I think that's it. I think the Real Madrid squad at the moment is, is just so good. And, and Asensio, again, a player that I called for that probably should have been introduced a little bit earlier. I thought Real should have switched to a 4-3-3 a little bit earlier because there was space for Asensio to counter-attack and he took his goal so well. A fantastic assist, again, by Marcelo, um, you know, going on a slaloming run that he's done so many times uh, this season in, in European football, especially for Real Madrid. But that um, the finish from Asensio was perfect. And like I, I don't know any part of Asensio's game that isn't really, really good. I think he's got such ability from range. He's brilliant at dribbling on the ball. He's quick. He can finish. He's just got it all. And he's going to be the next big star in world football. And that's exactly what I believe with him. In terms of Juve, let's touch on Juve because I felt they let themselves down a bit, especially Allegri. One of the things that I say coming into the game is that they had to do was switch from that from a 4-4-2 to a 3-5-2 if... Real had gone with the diamond. Again, you go back to Italian football, the trends there. Why the 3-5-2 came in was because everyone played a 4-4-2 diamond. That came along, the 3-5-2, Juve started to dominate. That's because you have the two centre-halves at the back, you have the two strikers that are taken up, you've got an extra man at the back. And what you can do is you can use your wing-backs and pin their full-backs back. So imagine if Juve had pinned that back, um, Carvajal, and pinned back Marcelo. That kills Real Madrid's attack. And that's something that Allegri should have done. It would have been bold because it would have meant he had to maybe drop Mario Mandzukic. And looking back on that game now, you'd say, no, Dave, that's a stupid idea. Mandzukic scored one of the best goals we've seen in the Champions League final, a bicycle kick. But Mandzukic was good for the first 15 minutes of that game and then he really dropped out of the game. If he played someone like Storaro on the left wing um, in a 4-4-2 at the start, he could have then switched to a 3-5-2 with ease. If he, if he went with Mario Mandzukic, the switch, well he did go with that, the switch to a 3-5-2, a natural 3-5-2 with three central midfielders is a lot harder. You know, you'd have to push Dybala back into central midfield, a role that I don't think he's quite good at doing, better up, further up the pitch. So, again, I think Allegri made a bit of a mistake. Um, he left that, that, the system the same throughout the whole game, didn't try to change anything. Nico, do you think that's a fair analysis? Do you think that I'm, I'm talking absolute dump? Or do you think that's a good thing of um, Allegri's uh, tactics and his formation? No, definitely. I think that's a fair analysis of what, you know, maybe where Allegri fell short as much of a, as I've praised him. Um, he, he did do some things wrong in that game and things that certainly he could have done better. Um, but but with that, I, I think within the first 15 minutes since Juventus was so, so dominant, you talk about pinning back the, the fullbacks in Real system. And I think they were doing that to some extent the, with how much Alexander was getting forward, you know, the, and Danny, Danny Alves did a pretty good job of Marcelo. But only within the first 15 minutes, you know, things changed and those fullbacks were able to get forward and enjoy a little bit more space without worrying um, about the likes of, of Sandro and, and Dani Alves later on in the game. Um, another thing that I'd say uh, about Juventus that they could have done better is that Real really identified the 
the strength and sort of their return passing in, in which, you know, they engage the defensive line by activating someone like Dybala and then getting back to the central midfielders and then spraying it out wide through Pjanic or Kadira. Um, and they, you know, as as bad as people are claiming Dybala was, you know, they, they jumped on Dybala, Dybala very quickly. And I, I think he, I, if I'm not mistaken, he... Um, got Ramos a yellow card pretty early on in the game and then one other player because how how aggressively they were tackling into him and then Dybala didn't really step up from that point I think if he I was looking forward to seeing him continue to try and draw the fouls from those players and maybe even get someone like Ramos sent off considering how aggressive they had to be to him because that was really the key that's that's what I highlighted in in a number of the of the previews is how good can Dybala be in disturbing that Real center back partnership as well as the midfield because if he can slip between those areas if you can slip in that right channel and force fouls from those players and cause them to be less aggressive and and allow him himself to to really uh put his influence on the game then that's going to cause a lot of problems for Real Madrid and unfortunately he didn't do that as the game went on yeah it was it was a little bit disappointing but he is a young player he's a very young player I thought that um what he didn't do very well was sit behind Tony Cruz and look to stretch rail down that um, down Juventus's right and Real Madrid's left-hand side. I think that would have been perfect. Um, but I think it was maybe not just to do with Dybala, it was also to do with his instructions from Allegri. They did sit very deep in almost a 4-4-2-0, um, you know, the classic Atletico shape. And it's sort of, it's that thing again, when you're a counter-attacking team, you need to have one outlet on the counter. You need to have one guy that doesn't really do defensive work and, and sits waiting for the break. And I feel they could have potentially done that with Dybala and they didn't do that and it was a bit of a mistake. You know, Dybala's effectiveness in the game going forward was kind of negated. Yeah, he did draw a foul out of Sergio Ramos, which was good in, in early early in the game. But he, he failed to create a chance. He failed to get a shot on goal, and then he completed two dribbles in a game where he should have been dribbling at um, Juve all the time, especially given that early um, card to Sergio Ramos. But in terms of uh, Juventus, uh, they conceded more goals versus Real Madrid in the Champions League final than they did in the entire tournament. Maybe next season we'll have. Buffon lifting, lifting the trophy. That is what everyone wants to hear. And again, we've got breaking news. So Yardim today was linked with a move to China, but now he signed a new deal at Monaco until 2020. That is great news for all Monaco fans out there, including myself. Mbappe stays, Yardim stays, but Bernardo Silva had to go. <laughs> Nico, are you, disapp- are you Nico, disappointed about Nico, that, Dave? Excuse me, it's a moment's silence for Bernardo Silva having to fall out of my <laughs> favourite footballers in the world list to Manchester City players. It's happened before. It, it, it's, it's interesting Jovetic, though. David Silva. It, it's interesting though what what this means for Monaco considering I think one of the, the conclusions I drew um, when I heard the link that, that Yardim was possibly going to China was that that meant that the club had probably told him hey we're going to fire sale the majority of these players that you've been successful with so he wanted to make a decision for his future and maybe get a lot more money for a short time or, or a long time uh, of his career in China. But I think if if he's staying, then that probably means that there's not as many players leaving Monaco as there's rumored to be. Hopefully for, for my club, Benjamin Mendy will still be leaving. Um, Back off, but- all right. I don't, I don't <laughs> want to have to put another player on that list, Nico. <laughs> Benjamin Mendy's excellent. Hopefully he comes to Manchester City. Sadio Mane has yeah. to go on that list as well. <sighs> Sadio Mane to, to Liverpool. Well, that, well, he he was excellent. I still like him. Waste of time watching RB Salzburg. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's good for Monica that uh, that that um, Yardim will stay, and hopefully they'll continue to achieve uh, under under his managerial reign. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. 
That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Which uh, moves us nicely on to the UCL team of the season, the Champions League team of the season. Um, Yardim could be a coach, but unfortunately I didn't think he quite... Um, lived up to his heights. I liked his move against Juve in that second leg, going to a 3-4-1-2 to counter-attack to Juve's 4-4-2, but it didn't quite work. I think he needs a little bit more. One more season, Yardin will win coach of the season and will lift the title with Monaco. And actually, it's going to be Man United winning this, so I don't know what I'm talking about. But anyway, of course, uh, the team of the season needs a manager. It's going to be simple. That's going to Zinedine Zidane. Nico, I don't care about your opinion. It's going to Zinedine Zidane. And he's going to be playing a 4-4-2 diamond, but Nico, who are we going to put in goal? I think it has to be Buffon. For all the 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 clamor surrounding his, how much everybody likes him, you know, I don't know a person who watches football that doesn't like Buffon. He's a nice guy. He's a he's a real competitor of the game. Um, but he's also made some incredible saves this season uh, against Barcelona, against Monaco, and and he didn't make as many saves as probably he could have to some extent in the final. But he was still excellent. So I think we have to go for Buffon, considering Kaylor Davis is no standout, although he did pretty well in the final. Yeah, Kale Navas had a really good final. That was, again, I was very impressed by his performance in the final. He was pretty decent against Atletico uh, as well, made a few pretty decent saves there, but Buffon, he deserves it. He didn't win it, again, lost it, but, you know, deserves to be there from his uh, performances. I think at both fullbacks, I don't think it, I don't think we can argue with this, it's going to be Carvajal and Marcelo. Both have excelled going forward, and Carvajal being fit for that final was absolutely massive, whether he was given painkillers or whatever for the ankle. Um, you know, it was, it was commitment by Carvajal, and again, making a massive impact in that final third Marcelo just think about the brilliant runs he went on the one in the final for the fourth goal you think about the goal um, Ronaldo scored against uh, Bayern Munich where Marcelo picked up the ball in central midfield and beat like three players Thiago um, Boateng and um, uh, Kimmich who had just come on who was just really you know full of energy Marcelo just powering through and then sliding it to uh, Ronaldo to fire home he's going to be in there the two centre-backs Nico I'm going to throw in Sergio Ramos because I loved his play acting against Cuadrado but again there was a stamp if you've not re-watched that footage um Quadrado stamps on Mar- on um, Sergio Ramos, and that's probably why he gets sent off. I thought it was uh, no, he, no, he doesn't. I, I think he did. Nico. 
No, I disagree. <laughs> no, you disagree? Cool. Well, Absolute shithousery. And good, I know you're excellent, a big fan excellent of that, considering uh, Perfect and, and, stuff. And, a, and a Herrera fan over here. Exactly. Ole, ole, under Herrera. Um, but the other sense about Nico, I'm going to give you the option to name him. Yeah, Benucci. Benucci's been fantastic for a number of years now. Um, and I think if we're being realistic, look at that back too. You know, you have the perfect combination of aggressor versus reader, um, Benucci and Ramos. So I, I think that would make an excellent center back pairing. And, and you can't really argue with how well Benucci has done, whether it be in a 4-4-2 system or a uh, five-man defense in, in sort of a 3-4-1-2 uh, or 3-5-2. Benucci is a genius. I love the bit where um, they played out against Barca in the quarters was it the quarters they beat Barca it was basically Benucci got pinned in his own half pinned um, right back Barca pressing high received a pass from uh, Buffon on his bar on like the byline basically just just plays out like it's nothing absolutely nothing in Serie A this season Benucci has completed 66% of his long balls that is an insane accuracy what a fantastic player and you know, if he didn't play for Juve, I'd be wanting him to join Manchester United, but I just don't think that's going to happen. You know, these players at Juve seem like they love the club. They seem like it's a family, so I don't expect him to leave. Uh, maybe Lindelof is the perfect guy for United, the next Benucci, as I call him. Uh, moving into defensive midfield, Casemiro comes in there, um, made the most uh, interceptions in the knockout stages, won the most tackles in the knockout stages, and was directly involved in more goals than any other midfielder. That's that. You know, that's all I want to say about Casemiro. Fantastic at covering the flanks. A brilliant defensive midfielder. Into midfield, uh, Nico, we've had a bit of a debate here. I've got to go with Cruz Modric. Who are you going to go with? Your two-man midfield in our diamond. I think Cruz Modric is a pretty pretty decent shout considering how excellent they've been um, this season but I think a case sort of has to be made for Miralem Pjanic he was excellent I think in in a lot of the games for Juventus and it's I think his final de- performance is up for debate to some extent um, I think he distributed well maybe he made some poor decisions in terms of he led the play well but maybe he should have tried to force the play a little bit more down that right hand side maybe Juventus would have had a little bit more success offensively if if Pjanic was trying to get those balls through the right because he he's really the the deep the deep line playmaker for Juventus and and he controls a lot of what they do and, and how they go forward so maybe a, a better decision making from him there but I think he he was excellent um but Cruz and Modric you, you can't really argue with that you, you've touched on how good Modric was and, and I've touched on how good Cruz is you know um changing positions from central midfield to deeper central midfield to almost left deep central midfield and, and the things that he's able to do both with his vision vision and his passing um are immense so tony cruz is uh, fantastic yeah i think i kind of agree with the pianich thing i think he was fantastic in the semis fantastic in the quarters but didn't really show up in the final i thought he was um you know a bit part player in that game i think cruz and modric just just kind of controlled the game but it was a bit difficult for him to put his foot on the ball still a young player in central midfielders and will be um, you know when he hits 28 he's going to be absolutely fantastic I love his ability from set pieces his ability to control his work rate as well I think he put in something like 15 tackles against Barcelona in the second uh, leg of the the quarterfinal so will be a fantastic player but doesn't quite get in our team of the season I think the two players, uh, Chris and Modric, get ahead. In terms of our number 10, it's got to be Isco Wright. Nico showed such good form in 2017, broke through from the Real Madrid B team to the A team, and then it just became a fixture at attacking midfield, was brilliant against Atletico, recycling the ball, broke the Simeone press, and did quite well in the final. I didn't think he was up to the same level as the semi-final, but he, he did fantastic. I don't think there's any um, attacking midfielder that can kind of come close, Nico. Bernardo, 
Silva, Dave. He he was excellent for for Monaco this season, especially in the Champions League. So, um, yeah, but es- Isco was was great as well. Uh, it was later in the season that he moved to or established himself. Mm-hmm. Although I think it's one of those things as well. And Real Madrid is extremely complicated with their their club sort of politics. And I think they bought. Isco a season before they bought James Rodriguez, but I think because of the fee, because of the reputation that James had garnered for himself, there was a feeling amongst the Real managers that, and this is another thing that I think Rafa Benitez was more inclined to play Isco, um, but there was a feeling amongst the, the the people and the board at Real Madrid who almost not have as much say as the manager in terms of the lineup, but have a pretty decent say in terms of the lineup, more so than really any other club. Um, is that they, they felt like they had to play James considering his price tag and everything, uh, though Isco might have done better for them. And I think he, he's one of the players that has benefited from the fact that you have a manager that's not trying to play the politics as much or doesn't need to because of his stature. Um, so, you know, Isco's brilliant and, and he's deserved to be there for a long, long time. I would have put Bernardo Silva in there, but he moved to Manchester City, so unfortunately that relationship has broken down, Nico, so we're going to have to give it to the uh, Spanish <laughs> wizard, um, as he's called on American TV. Moving to our strikers, I think it's pretty simple. Mbappe and Ronaldo, both uh, the two top scorers in the knockout stages, Mbappe with six goals, Ronaldo again just breaking record after record, ten goals in the knockout stages. I think he scored more goals in the knockout stages of the Champions League than in the group stages, which is absolutely ridiculous. Mbappe, this was his season where he really exploded um, as a striker, fantastic, so, so good, so raw. One thing that he needs to develop, I think, is when he when he gets that big hit, when he, you know someone like Benucci or Chiellini comes in and crunches him, or Dani Alves, needs to just get back up and fight again. But what he's so good at is drifting into those wide areas from a central striker area you know Monaco's system is a narrow 4-4-2 what Mbappe does is he drifts wide and he almost comes in he's almost a, a wide forward that plays centrally at the start it's, a, it's sort of a new age thing well it's a thing that Thierry Henry used to do a lot and he's just so good in those areas so tricky so um, you know so good at beating his opponent and just he's going to get better and better and I think it's the best thing for Yardim and Mbappe to stay at of course Monaco we spoke a bit about Ronaldo before as well but goal scoring wise just a joke an absolute joke I don't think we're you know if we ever see a player like Ronaldo in front of goal again we probably will do Um, I don't think goal scorers are goal scorers are one of these things where they come around a lot People like Lionel Messi don't come around too often, but Ronaldo-type players do. But what a what a performance this season. Maybe next season will be playing as a striker for the whole campaign. On to the game of the Champions League. Nico, what's your uh, what's your opinions here? I think there, there's a few games that stand out. There were some pretty phenomenal games this season. Um, but the the 6-1 against... against um, PSG. Sorry, PSG in Barcelona... Uh, bit of a brain fart there was excellent but also the the 5-3 man uh, manchester city versus monaco i think that was more of like a, a full game thing whereas the the barcelona game really heated up there the, the the majority of what you wanted to see was sort of in the last 20 minutes um because otherwise other than that it was really just a shelling of psg in sort of their you know defensive 18 yards so i think for me game of the ucl would probably be the 5-3 um but if we're talking about performance of the ucl from an individual player i would say neymar in the 6-1 for barcelona Neymar was ridiculous in that game, scored a free kick, scored a penalty, um, that assist for the last goal on his wrong foot was just unbelievable. I think that's what, I think this season we saw what Neymar could become, where his ceiling is, and his ceiling is so goddamn high when he, you know, a few more seasons, the decision making goes up and whatever, he's going to be an absolute joke of a player. If Lionel Messi can be still at the club when Neymar hits his prime, that's the crazy thing, we're not talking about, we're talking about Neymar now, and he's not even in his prime, um, and he will be absolutely insane, I agree, performance of the tournament definitely goes to Neymar for 
carrying Barcelona back in that um, fantastic comeback. I'd probably say that is the game, um, but I'd probably give tie of the tournament to the one you mentioned, the Manchester City-Monaco game. That was fantastic. Lamar, Silva, um, Mbappe for you know Fabinho, Bakayoko, and then the the City comeback with the you know the exposure in, in central midfield was fantastic from Pep Guardiola. So that was just a real good game. Um, so many goals, and of course um, Monaco knocking out Manchester City, which was brilliant. We're going to finish off talking about Zinedine Zidane and how his uh, you know his sort of his time at Real Madrid has come so far. So in terms of his um, you know the, his record as as Real Madrid manager, he's won seventy five percent of his games in just the season and a half he's been there. He's dominated Europe as well as La Liga, winning two Champions League titles, a La Liga, uh, the Club World Cup, and the UEFA Super Cup. Nico, what are your thoughts on Zidane as a manager? Did you, you know have you been surprised by how well he's done? Uh, where does he go next? I wouldn't say that I've been surprised as to how well he's done. What I will say is that, you know, myself included, and I think yourself included, a lot of people have taken an approach to this this Real Madrid side and really Zidane's tactics is that he's just benefiting from having such excellent players. And the only thing he's really doing is managing the egos of a, an extremely talented dressing room. And I think that's reductionist. Um, but what I will say is that I think he's done extremely well to get the best out of his players right now with a possession system that doesn't take a whole lot of risks, um, but is still creating a, a, a lot of chances and a lot of good good chances for excellent players. Um, you and I were talking pre-record about sort of the balance, and, and it's a very basic it's a very basic scale in which we judge managers. But I think basically the way I think about football is, and this is obvious, it's not groundbreaking or anything but the the more risks you take in your possession and your passing and your and sort of the positioning of your players how many players you put forward obviously the better chance you have of scoring but the the better chance you have of conceding and obviously the the fewer risks you take in in all those things the less chance you have of scoring but also the less chance you have of conceding what Real Madrid have done this season is is combine the best of those two things they find a way to concede as few as possible and score as many as possible and part of that is down to the possession system that Zinedine Zidane has put into effect at Real Madrid like I said it doesn't take a a lot of risks but they're still they're still able to create chances sort of out of nothing you know the the moves from from Ronaldo his off ball movement his freedom sort of within the final third um Isco's ability to break lines and all those things so he he's done some amazing things another thing i will say is that he's done well like i said he's done well to get the best out of the players he has right now but as to a concrete philosophy or a system out of Zidane, I'm more excited to see what he does when he maybe leaves Real Madrid or is given a completely new crop of players at Real Madrid to, to see what he comes up with in terms of his actual footballing philosophy. Because obviously there are things that we associate with Jose Mourinho, with Pep Guardiola, with Thomas Tuchel, with other managers. But I've yet to really nail down what is Zidane's actual football philosophy and what he would play if he was given a, a different managerial position I'd say it's all about control I think it, it's something I mentioned before it's about controlling every aspect of the game whether they've got the ball and they are recycling it and they're working it from one flank to the other or it's the counter attack and I think it's just control that's how I'd say it. they're very safe in possession but they're not they, they advance their fullbacks very high Car, you know they've got the, the, the people to, to play that system as a whole you know the likes of Ramos Varane and uh, Casemiro who sit back the rest of the guys attack you know so he's attacking with seven players in, in, in most situations and that recycling the ball is perfect I love the 4-3-3 that he switches to 
when he's got a lead to counter-attack. I just really like how flexible he is, and I think that's the future of football, is flexibility. And Zinedine Zidane shown that by playing a 4-4-2 diamond in the semi-final and in the final of the Champions League, when he sort of flirted with the formation before, but he's never really stuck to it. So I think I'd give him a lot of credit there. In terms of his record in Europe, it's an absolute joke. He's won 70% of his games in the Champions League. Um, that's from 20 games, he's won 14, drawn 4, and only lost 2 games. Zinedine Zidane has won the same amount of Champions Leagues as he has drawn games in the Champions League. That's a joke. That is an absolute joke. But just to leave it on, you know, on sort of Zidane versus the greatest managers of all time, he comes up trumps with uh, his win rate at 75.86%. That beats Luis Enrique, Diego Simeone, Jose Mourinho, Pep Guardiola, Carlo Ancelotti and Sir Alex Ferguson. It's an interesting one. I did a comparison of those guys um, this week. And obviously Zidane comes out with win rate. It's whether he can translate that um, to the next few seasons. Obviously that is is currently peaking. That will, um, you know, fall back to the mean, diverge to the mean. But where do you think that mean will be, Nico? Do you think he's going to be someone like Sir Alex Ferguson, where it'll be around 60%? Do you think he's going to be a Pep Guardiola win percentage at 70%? Where is Zidane's natural mean of his win percentage? It's difficult to to establish sort of the natural mean, especially right now. Like you said, he has the same amount of Champions Leagues that he does drawn games in that competition, which is absolutely insane. So maybe a little bit of conflated statistics considering it's been a very brief managerial stint thus far. Um, but as to what he'll progress to as his, as his sort of statistics even out over time and stuff like that, I think he's going to be a very successful manager because he he's, seems to be tactically adept. So I think it'll be somewhere between 60% and probably, yes, so 55 and 60%. I think that's where he'll land. Oh, yeah, I reckon it'll be 65, 70. I'd even say over 70. I just think he's 65 or 70 percent. Yeah, think I think, I think he'll be similar to Pep Guardiola. Um, obviously, Pep Guardiola's short time. Sir Alex Ferguson, another guy in my little pool of, of managers, played what over uh, over a thousand games, one thousand two hundred twenty games, and had a sixty-one percent win rate. That is ridiculous. Winning forty-nine trophies. We always forget how good. Sir Alex Ferguson was as a manager absolutely ridiculous 16 league titles three obviously with Manchester United three with Aberdeen and winning those two Champions League at Old Trafford obviously that's that record's beaten by Carlo Ancelotti who's picked up three Champions Leagues but again Ancelotti's only won four league titles that's crazy right Nico yeah he's, he's not for whatever reason and, and I haven't you know, but for, sorry, uh, for whatever reason, he uh, he hasn't won many league titles, but he, he's definitely adept in the Champions League. And hopefully he'll he'll fix that in his time at Bayern Munich. And, and I think they'll actually be a really successful team uh, next year in the Champions League. But, yeah, I, I, you know, looking at the statistics for Sir Alex Ferguson, considering how long of a career he had, I mean, definitely one of the best managers of all time definitely at the top of that conversation the best I'd say I think that's you know it's just one of those things that he is the best ever Nico and we've just got to accept that as football <laughs> fans but anyway guys that's been that for the Stat Monday football podcast today episode 75 over and out remember I'm going to go on a little two week break I need to go on a holiday I need to sit on the beach for a little bit and just you know, for, you know think about football where do I want to go next in the world of football? What tactical philosophy do I think next is going to be best? Is it the 4-4-2 diamond, the 4-3-3? These all need to be thought about. But Nico, until next time you're on the Statman Dave Football Podcast, where can people find you? And are you going to have a holiday soon? I don't think I'm going to have a holiday anytime soon. Um, but maybe maybe I'll come visit you this summer in, in England. Maybe I'll Holy hop over the smokes, pond. Batman. Maybe we'll do a live <laughs> podcast on video. A live podcast. That, that'd be fun. I'm down for that. 
Yeah, probably, you know, at the moment I haven't showered today. It's currently 5.35. I have literally been on my computer since I woke up. So maybe if Nico comes to do a live podcast, I will shower before the recording, Nico, I promise. I hope I hope that. I hope that's 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 the case, because from what you, you've told me on the WhatsApp communication... Mm, oh, God. Um, we're, we're not, the the not conversation between things. me and your WhatsApp, Nico, a secret. <laughs> <laughs> but no, of course, Nico. Thanks again for joining me. You've been a cracking servant this Season and next season a we'll be servant. Back again. Is that what you're calling me? A servant? No, like, it, like just a dude that's been on the podcast. I am a servant of the Statman Dave po- Football Podcast. I am a servant. I think, of the I think we're all we're all servants. Exactly, of the we're all Dave servants of, of the world if, if, folk, of football. Folks, if you consider if you consider yourself a servant of the Statman Dave Football Podcast, tag Dave, tag myself, and say I am a servant. So, oh. Similar to I am the whole. Actually, we've got one more question before we leave. I can't remember which okay. fella asked it on Twitter. But um, it was basically, we want to know, Nico, how your carb diet, sorry, how your no-carb diet oh, yeah. is going. That was from, let me find the name before we die. I think in. it's uh, Kareem Karas. Or yeah, something. Kareem Karas on Twitter, at Karas Kareem on Twitter. How's the how's the diet going, Nico? Are you gone crazy yet? Dave, uh, I had about three pizzas on uh, <laughs> Sunday with my family. So you can say the no-carb no carb diet is not going well. So I'm not sure if I'm continuing the no-carb diet. Maybe I'll just have to get back in the gym. Um, unfortunately, I haven't, haven't gone that often. But yeah, three pizzas on Sunday. They were really good pizzas, to be fair. So I had pizzas on, on Saturday, actually, but I can't I'm trying to find... You, 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 as you quoted on the, the, uh, the front three a long time ago, I love a pizza. Pizza's probably my favorite food, I'm going to be honest. Um, there's a place in Shoreditch that does slices of pizza, and I'm just trying to find where it is. So if anyone goes to Shoreditch or wants good pizza in London, I can tell you exactly where it is. Give me two. Lawrence, Lawrence McKenna took me to a to a pizza place in uh, I think on the east side of London one time. It was pretty good. So. so you want to go to Voodoo Rays? There's a Voodoo Rays in um, in Shoreditch uh, on the Box Park, or there's a Voodoo Rays in Dalston. Both are awesome. It's like American style pizzas in a way, where they, you kind of buy a slice, um, and after the Champions League final, after a few lagers should I say or a few shandies um, I needed some sustenance and I went to Voodoo Rays and I got three pieces of pizza and it was it was absolutely awesome Nico when you come I'll take you to Voodoo Rays and you'll see that three pieces of pizza is far too much pizza for, for any man but anyway that's been that enough of the pizza chat enough of the football chat until I think in two weeks time on Wednesday we'll get back into the Statman Day football podcast where we're going to be dressing all the news but until then I'm going to have a wonderful holiday you guys have a wonderful holiday see you later thanks for listening softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.